Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning as we continue a series that we started back in August, and then we took a little bit of a break and are coming back to. And I don't know, there's a lot that's happened between August and now, so I don't expect you to remember that. But it started with, um, we started with something called Be Resilient. And Be Resilient was based on research that was done by Barna. And I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Barna research. I talked about it then. Or George Barna, who the organization is named after. But Barna research has been around for over 40 years. They've got offices all over the country, including Tennessee, Georgia, California, and then their headquarters in Dallas. And over those 40 years, they have done about 2 million interviews with Christians to really get a sense of the state of the church and of the world. If they had a motto, their motto would be helping pastors understand and helping the church understand the times and what to do about it. So the purpose of Barna Research is really to help any of us and all of us who care about the church to know what's happening in the church world. What are the trends? What are we seeing? And then how do churches, how do they come alongside churches in the body of Christ to really help us to either address those trends, sometimes even reverse those trends? And they have different subsets and parts of it. And there's a whole subset that really looks particularly at youth and at youth culture. And so this Be Resilient um, series came out of a recent study by a guy named David Kinneman, alongside a good friend of mine, Mark Matlock, who's been a youth pastor for many years. And they were looking at what they would call resilient faith in particularly Generation Z. Now, some of you would be like, well, we don't know who Gen Z is. So wave at me. If you were born between 1997 and 2012, wave at me. You are Gen Zers. That means woohoo! You are an important group of people, and so this research was about you. Now, much of this also butts up against millennials. Millennials are those born between 1981 and 1996, so where are you all at, millennial people? Woo, you're like, we're the majority in this house. Okay, so they really were focusing on primarily on Gen Z, and some of you might wonder why they chose to focus on Generation Z. So Gen Z, I'm like not trying to talk like you're not in the room. You're like, Pastor Laurel, we're sitting right here. I'm going to be talking with you. And if there are some things I'm saying that help to categorize you, maybe there are some things that you didn't really realize that were data points about you, I want you to hear this. Here is part of the reason why Barna Research has been so interested in Generation Z and why this Be Resilient book that they wrote and this research came out of this. Generation Z is the most diverse and the most populous generation in world history. There are more young people between the ages of 18 and 29 in the world than there has ever been in the world. And they are what we would consider now as baby boomers are, are passing away. And those of us who are Gen Xers who never had iPhones, who had the pagers, we're like, beep, beep. Remember we had these phones? Right? I think my parents might still have that just as a relic, right? But they are the most populous generation and diverse generation in world history. That means they have more friends who are diverse. Many of them have family members who are adopted of different ethnic backgrounds. Many of them are in a different world globally because of immigration and globalization. They are just a very different and large population. 
This generation, Gen Z, is also referred to as iGen because essentially they were born with iPhones in their hands. Anyone remember the first year that the iPhone was released? 2007. 2007 was the first year, so our oldest daughter was seven years old, and no, she did not get one. But our oldest daughter was seven years old when those first came out, and that, I, that iPhone has shaped their entire worldview. Some of us grew up with two people telling us the news, Dan Rather and Walter Cronkite. Remember those good old days? Like some of you were like, who are they? Well, they're old men who are probably not alive. But there used to be one way in which we got that news. iGen can pull up anything that is happening in the world. And as a result of that, they've also been deeply overwhelmed. They have gotten many data points. Right now, they can see what's happening in Iran. They can see very graphic images of what's happening in Israel and Palestine. They also have been exposed to many things, including uh, pornography. Many things have been used to hurt them. They've been used it as ghosting. They've, they've used it. It's been used as a weapon and as an advantage to this generation. And many of them are overwhelmed psychologically and socially because of this. But here's the other thing. Gen Z, you all wave at me again, Gen Zers, you have also impacted the world in ways that others have not. Every generation has something to offer, but this generation has really impacted the world in terms of culture, in terms of trends, in terms of social media, in terms of their views of life, in terms of relationships, in terms of identity. This is a highly impactful generation. They care about the earth. They care about global warming. They care about how people treat one another. They care about race. They care about equality. They care about all of those things. And this is a generation that is not going to be silent and simply take the world as it is lying down. So this is a generation that not only has been impacted by great things, they are ones to watch. They are the ones who are shifting even the ways that we work, our work culture and work style. So to be specific, this Be Resilient research addresses mindsets of this Gen Z generation. And they identified that within this Be Resilient kind of research, hear this, only 10% of this very impactful generation are those that they would consider resilient. In other words, the church is seeing trends that a lot of people are walking away from their faith. Now, I would say faith is a broad category. There are some people in there that probably were religious folks or church folks that never really held on to their faith or chose their faith. And sometimes what they walk away from is out of pain and it's momentary and some are gone for a longer amount of time. But in their research and in their data points, which they did for over 10 years, there arose to the top this group of 10% of young people this 18 to 29-year-old group who had what we would call a resilient faith. And here is how they would identify resilient. Resilient faith, or these young people with a resilient discipleship mindset, have four qualities. One, and I said this last August, they attend church at least monthly and engage with their church more than just attending worship services. So they don't just come and leave. When they hear Brody or someone else say, hey, we've got an opportunity, they sign up. If they can make an impact, they're going to. If they need to show up for something, if their friends show up, they're generally going to show up. So this 10%, this group that keeps bucking the trends of walking away, they show up and they serve. 
Number two, they trust firmly in the authority of the Bible. That doesn't mean that they have all of their questions answered. Doesn't mean that there aren't hard things that they're not wrestling through. But somewhere along the line, they had someone like you, or they had a Brody, or they had someone else that caused them to feel like, man, maybe this Jesus is worth following. Maybe there's some truth. The things that we're doing for all of you who serve with our children over there, that's not small. We're not just coloring, doing coloring sheets over there. The things that the enemy is coming after, that he's coming earlier and earlier in our school systems. If you're not volunteering, I'm doing this plug for the youth ministry. Get over there and serve those children. Because if we're not serving those children, if we're not teaching the children the gospel to the children, guess what? There's a whole world and a whole enemy who is more than happy to oblige to fill the holes that we're not willing to fill. And all those babies have to do is to have a phone in their hand and for you to get busy with something else and the enemy give them a couple of things to do and open it up to stuff that you don't want them to see. We have got to be attentive to our own children. We are raising an army. We are not simply hoping that they make it to 18. No, ma'am, no, sir. We are raising up a generation of kingdom warriors, and we are responsible for their lives. So these are kids who trust firmly in the authority of the Bible. They believe that the Bible is true. Number three, they're committed to Jesus personally and affirm that he was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. Why that point? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the primary things on which our faith uh, is centered. Even as Paul said, if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we are to be as pitied as all people. The resurrection of Jesus Christ in bodily form is one of the things that atheists will argue most and others will argue most, but it is a central tenet to the Christian faith. And these, this 10% believe it. He was raised in bodily form and see, they are committed to Jesus personally. They have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They guard their personal relationship. They seek to find ways to make Jesus known and to hold on to Jesus. In other words, who is Jesus to me? I want you all to be asking yourselves that throughout this. Who is Jesus to me? Who is he to me? Is he a guy in history? Is he some interesting person or is he my savior and Lord? Did you have a camp experience? Did you sit with a mentor? Was it your grandpa or your grandma? Was it being in here where you finally had a moment where you said, man, I've walked away from Jesus. I've tried Jesus. And I need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that no matter what anyone else does, I need him. So I want you all to be asking yourselves as I'm preaching this, who is Jesus to you personally? Because those young people can answer that. And number four, they express a desire to transform the broader society as an outcome of their faith. Meaning that that personal faith that they have has legs. That faith actually has an outgrowth and it is actually transforming society. So those are four major things that are a huge part of this. And some of you may be asking, okay, that's great. Congratulations for those 10%. What does that have to do with you and me? I would say plenty. Many of us have been or know someone who's on the fence regarding their faith. Anyone know people who are on the fence regarding their faith? I do. 
Maybe some of you aren't raising your hand because you're like, yeah, it's me, but I'm not going to tell you. That's all right. I'm looking right at you. I'm scanning. I'm scanning the crowd. I'm going to do the mosh pit. I'm going to jump right out there at you and get you. Listen, some of my family, that's what I would say. They're, most of them are Christmas Christians. Anyone know Christmas Christians? They're Christmas Christians. Maybe I got a few Easter Christians. And if you twist their arm, maybe they're Mother's Day Christians, Right? But they're on the fence. Here's the reality. It's okay to be on the fence. Just don't stay on the fence. Just don't jump on the other side of the fence. If you're on the fence about Christ, if you've got questions about Christianity, guess what? I got a whole wall of things for you to be able to look at. Because I think it's important that we as Christians not just ascribe to Christianity because it's a good idea. Because it's what we grew up on. As the world gets darker, you're going to have more people who have questions about this faith. And it's our job to answer those questions. It's our job to do the best we can to give people a reason for the faith and the hope that lies within us. Scripture says, 1 Peter. So we're also, though, beyond having those on-the-fence friends, we've got, we're parents. We've got little kids. We've got siblings, We've got other people that we know. We're parents and grandparents and friends. But beyond that, we're believers in Jesus Christ. So somewhere along the line, we've made a decision to be resilient alongside of them. So we've got to care about more than just what happens in our household. We've got to care about the church, the church worldwide. And we've got to care about the unbeliever, people who don't even know that there's a reason to have hope. And hear me. How we live, how we treat each other is a huge indicator of who will stay with Jesus and who won't. Because you can have all the intellectual capacity in the world, and if you are a spiritual curmudgeon, you will chase people away from the hope that they need. And how many of you know we can chase people right into the arms of Jesus? I heard a saying that was really good. Someone said, listen, if someone turns away from Jesus after they've done all the research and they choose to walk away even after having the facts, then they can deal with that. If, however, they walk away from Jesus because of Christians, we own that. We should never be people who chase people away from the gospel. We ought to be the most attractive people in the world because we know what it is to have been saved. So when we think about what gives any of us resilience, I want to talk with you about a number of keys that they found. And today, I want to talk with you about just two. Two specific things that they found that are really encapsulated in here. One is belief. The other is declaration. To believe and to declare. To speak out of your mouth what God has placed on your heart. And that is the reality of Jesus Christ. So as we do that, I want us to look at a foundational scripture. Many of you have heard this over the years. Some of you have memorized it. Coming from Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 15. It'll be on the screen. But before we get to 8 to 15, I want to read for you verses 5 through 7 in the Amplified Bible that aren't going to be up there, but it gives you a context for what Paul is saying to the Romans. So here we go. Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 7 initially in the Amplified Bible, and then 8 through 15 NIV. It says, For Moses writes that the man or the woman who practices the righteousness which is based on the law with all of its intricate demands shall live by it. But the righteousness that is based on faith, 
which produces a right relationship with him, says the following. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That it is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. As if we had to be saved by our own efforts doing the impossible. That's verses five through seven. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, Paul is always pushing as a former Jew. He's always pushing against the law. He's saying, some of you Romans are trying to live your life by your own prescription. You're trying to live by the law. And if you live by the law, you have to follow it to every single detail. And guess what? The law is not going to make you free. Guys, I don't know about you and your journey with Christ, but there was a time when I lived my Christian life like I was under the law. It was called works righteousness. Let me earn my way into a relationship with Jesus. Let me prove to God that I was actually worth saving. Let me hope that if I do enough, I'll be a good Christian. That is not Christianity. That is not Christianity. Nothing that you or I have ever done makes us deserving of our salvation. It is a free gift of God that was given to us. And some of us have been caught up and bound and shackled by this sense of, I got to prove to God that I'm actually enough. You don't have to prove to God that you're actually enough. Because reality is, I'm not. And you're not. It was pure love. His motive was pure love. Pure love for you, for all that he had created, that he made us in his image. So Paul is saying, If you're going to live by righteousness by the law, you're always going to be under the law. But if you've got righteousness based on faith, out of which you're going to have a right relationship with him, you don't have to pull Jesus down and you don't have to go and try to bring him up from the dead because he's not there. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, risen with all power in his hand. So if we know that to be true, here's verse 8, here's our scripture. But what does the word of God actually say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. And it's in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. Paul is here saying, I've been preaching this word to you. I've been proclaiming it to you. I've been telling it to you. And by now, if you're hearing the word, man, it ought to be sitting in your heart. It ought to be in your mouth. What am I saying? Is it landing on you? Is it in your heart? He's saying, that's the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. My job to you is to proclaim the gospel and no other gospel. Then he says, if you declare with your mouth, here it is, that word declare. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. That means made right with God. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall unequivocally. If you've said yes to Jesus, salvation belongs to you. Don't add more. Not salvation plus works. No, ma'am, no, sir. If you surrendered and say, I am a wretch undone, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Savior and my Lord, guess what? Congratulations and welcome into the kingdom of God. However, That does not mean that you're done and you can just say, okay, Jesus, when are you coming back? Hurry up. Stuff's getting a little hot down here. 
And it is getting hot. Amen? We're watching things. And sometimes I got to stop watching things because it makes me feel like, ooh. But he's saying, didn't I tell you these things? Read your Bible. He said, didn't I tell you these things? Matthew 24. Didn't I tell you not to be afraid? Didn't I tell you to? This is why we believe and declare and believe and declare. This is why we study to show ourselves approved. This is why we keep the word down in us. This is why we hold on to each other as family. This is why we treat each other well and love each other well. Because the enemy would love nothing more than for lukewarm Christians to sit in pews every single week and do nothing. Edmund Burke, one of my favorite quotes is, there's nothing that is necessary for evil to prevail than for good men to do nothing. And if we become consumed by ourselves and not for the lost, for my nieces, my nephews, my siblings, my mother-in-law, if I let fear keep me from sharing the truth that I say that I profess, if I say I know the God of the universe, but oh, I don't want to bother anybody, uh, I really? How deep is Jesus to me then? People die for this gospel every day, and I'm just going to not want to bother anyone? Guess what? Bother me. Because someone bothered me. This church girl, somebody bothered me, walked up to me in a grocery store and asked me, did I know Jesus? And guess what? I had an attitude. You know why? Because I went to church, and I called going to church equal with salvation. How many of you know when you get squeezed, you realize that going to church does not equal salvation? You can go to church all your life and never know Jesus at all. You could say all the churchy stuff. Your granddaddy could have bought the steeple, and you still could not know Jesus. Salvation is about belief. It's about putting feet to your faith. It's about saying, yep, even if I don't have all the answers, I'm going to step forward in faith. So this is what Paul is preaching. They're saying if you call on him, you'll be saved. But then hear this, verse 14. How then can they call on the one that, and then they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one who they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? That means the only way that the world is going to hear, one of the big objections that people have is, well, what about people who have never heard the gospel? What about people in the remote corners of the world? The gospel and God's love means that everyone is going to have the opportunity to hear before Jesus Christ returns. But here's the thing. You signed up in this army. Go make sure somebody does. Stop waiting on the missionaries and the pastors to do it. You do it. And guess what? I'm not telling you to go downtown Independence or Delano with a blowhorn and say, Jesus is Lord. Although if you want to do it, hey, I'll stand right with you and be like, he sure is. People on your job need Jesus. People in your own home need Jesus. Family members need Jesus. Your next door neighbor needs Jesus. People all around you need Jesus. The high schools need Jesus. You are surrounded by people who need Jesus. Find a way that is authentic. How many of you remembered how you came to Jesus? Some of you are like, I don't know. <laughs> Just showed up one day and sat down and they kept me. Listen, we need to make sure that we know. How did, you, how did we come to know Jesus? Was it a friend, a grandparent? Maybe we grew up in the church. However it was, guys, find a way that is authentic to you. Invite somebody to play golf. Invite somebody to go chop some wood. My husband loves to chop wood. Anybody have any acreage and you need some wood to be, listen, there's your man right there. Give him a saw and he'll be out there for hours. Give him something to drink, he'll be just fine. 
Invite someone hunting. Right now I saw, and you know, I'm a city girl, but yesterday we were driving from Duluth and we saw people out with combines bringing in the corn. I'm like, man, I would love to sit and drive one of those things. There's nowhere to crash, so could I drive that? Somebody, a farmer friend, somebody else, take somebody, but let somebody know in a way that is authentic to you. But there are ways people need to know. How are they going to know? Unless we tell them. And how, why, we're not going to tell them unless we believe it. Friends, what I'm talking about here, I'm not talking about blind faith. I'm not talking about baseless emotionalism. I'm talking about belief that is anchored in and revealed in the truth. And for us who say that we believe, we are anchored in the revelation of God in and through Jesus Christ. And out of that revelation of that good news that hit us in the heart, wherever we were at a camp as a kid, sitting in this church somewhere else, whatever hit us in the heart, that good news allows us to take a step forward to believe. Now hear me, belief is a little bit different than faith. How many of you are runners in here? Any of you want to be runners in here? <laughs> Any of you dreamed about running? See, uh, yeah, I just will watch you. I will watch you run. I will say, congrats. That is, that is awesome, right? But you have to start somewhere, right? You have to start somewhere. Anytime you pick up something new, you've got to start, and you've got to put one foot in front of the other. Belief is that initial step. So consider belief like learning how to run, and consider faith the marathon. Faith is putting one foot in front of the other, so we keep believing, and we keep declaring, we keep believing, and we keep declaring. We keep putting one foot in front of the other. We keep standing firm in the midst of what God has called us to. John chapter 1 tells us that, that whoever believes in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of flesh, but of the will of God. You were saved because it was God's will that you be saved. Isn't it wonderful that we don't serve a God of brass or stone or iron, that we serve a God who actually loved you before time? Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, in the midst of our stuff, Jesus said, yep, I'll take it right now. Those nails have never been more powerful than they are right now. He took it for us, not waiting for us to be like, okay, I like you now, Jesus. No, he took it when we weren't even looking in his direction. Didn't even care. He said, I'll take it now. So when their eyes are open to my love for them, they'll recognize that I didn't twist their arm. It was through the love of the Holy Spirit and through faithful men and women of God that brought them to it. You all know John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave we're saved because he went first. He modeled the way God so loved the world that he gave. His only son, his treasured possession, the darling of heaven crucified. He gave him first that whosoever, there's the good news right there. Whosoever, good, bad, evil, wh whoever they are, whosoever, whosoever would believe in him would not perish in the flames of this hellish world that is falling apart, but would have everlasting life. Here's the good news on top of that, John 3, 17. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. You are not condemned. You are not condemned. You are not condemned. One of the big questions you'll get from people is, well, what about hell? Hell wasn't made for us. It was made for Satan, and I'm sure glad he will go there with all of his minions. I cannot wait for the wide opening of Hades. 
It is not meant for us. For God so loved that world because our, work, our God said he did not say, send his son into the world to condemn it, but that through his son, the world, the world would be saved, any of us. So here's the thing, guys. Our faith, our belief, it must be taking a step forward taking a step forward and then declaring. And I know that it gets scary. I know some of you are like, there ain't no way. Text somebody. Text somebody what Jesus did in your life. Text a friend that you haven't talked to in a long time. Text somebody who you know is hurting, somebody in the throes of addiction. Text someone and tell them. I know that you may think that this is crazy, but I just want you to know today that Jesus has made an impact in my life. They may tell you, ah, shut up with all that stuff. But I'm telling you, if you just keep telling them, look, I'm just telling you, I'm not going to church just to be religious. I'm not just at the Highlands because it's a cool place to be. I'm here because I want to put feet to my faith. I want to be a believer that actually shows you what to do. Final things that I'll say because I know I'm over. Listen, for those of you who have questions about faith, there are plenty of opportunities for you to learn and grow. One of the easiest books and or easiest movies, some of you have seen it, is The Case for Christ. How many of you ever saw the movie, Case for Christ? Go back and read. How many of you never saw The Case for Christ? Okay, go get it. It's the story of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was someone who worked, was a journalist who worked for the Chicago Sun-Times was an atheist, could care less about God. His wife came to faith in Christ and it irritated him made him angry. So he took his journalistic expertise as a means to try to disprove Jesus and became a Christian in the midst of it. What Case for Christ does and Case for Faith does and Case for Belief does is tell you from an atheist's perspective who became a Christian why Jesus is worth following, why we can have confidence in this kingdom, and why we can share it with other people with confidence. Because here's the thing, if you don't believe it, you won't share it. But if you do, if he's ever done anything for you, you will swallow a spirit of fear. No, you will put fear under your feet and you will dare tell somebody that Jesus as Christ is alive and has done something in your life. Declare him, tell someone, text them, invite them over, have a cup of coffee, take them hunting, do something, but do not let people continue to die because you are uncomfortable. Your discomfort is actually a prerequisite for salvation. You ought to have been uncomfortable with your sin, and now we ought to be uncomfortable with the fact that people are dying every single day, and we're looking the other way. Friends, Jesus is worth sharing. And in this season, as we're preparing, right, it's thanks to some of you have already stopped drinking your pumpkin spice lattes. Some of you are putting up your Christmas trees already. And you're like, not me. Some of you are. I'm not going to hate. But in the gift of giving... Don't buy anybody another sweater this year, y'all. Give them Jesus. Give somebody the transformation opportunity of going from death to life. Give somebody a reason to hope and declare and keep believing and keep declaring and keep believing because Jesus Christ is well worth it. And without him, I would be nothing. I know I would be nothing. But with him, we can do great things.
Amen? Let's stand and worship.